Hello, and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. I am your host, Eric Tenkar, your bartender in the OSR, your main proprietor at the Tenkar's Tavern blog. We are continuing our series of interviews with the designers and makers of OSR RPG material and beyond. Today, our special guest is Tom Knaus. Tom, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Uh... You're primarily known for your work with Frog God Games, am I correct? Predominantly, I do a little things for other people, but 95% of what I do is for Frog God Games. Okay. Well, now I'm going to set you up with the five questions that I'll be asking everybody that sits on the other side of this virtual table. And it's just give a little background of you, and uh, then we'll go on from there. After after the initial questions, it's kind of like a hex crawl. Uh, well, that's fine. Um, freestyling. No problem. Freestyling the way it should be. All right. Tom, your first question. Tell us about your first RPG experience. I was probably about 13, and uh, we had friends from the city who would come over periodically. I live in New Jersey, and they would periodically come over and stay for the weekend. So they brought this game called Dungeons and Dragons with them. It was in the old blue box. I remember it. We didn't even have the polyhedral dice. We had to use Monopoly dice because we didn't have any available. So they say to us, and this is my brother and I, and they say, we got this game. Do you guys want to play it? And we're like, all right, I guess. You know, we had no introduction. We didn't even know what an RPG was, you know. So bring out this game. And one of my friends is the GM. And we start at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I distinctly remember this. We went yeah. through the keep on the borderlands, the old classic uh, adventure from that period. And we started at 10 in the morning. And next thing I know is my mother's calling. And she's like, where are the kids? My friend's uh, neighbor who, who used to be, you know, we stayed there, said, oh, they're still here. And we're like, yeah, why, mom, why are you calling? Well, it's like 8.30 at night. And I haven't heard from you guys. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? We've only been here for like an hour. And actually, like, ten and a half hours had elapsed, and we had no clue that much time had gone by because we were so enraptured with this game. We were like, I remember going to the kobold area, then we went to the goblin cave, and then we went to the hobgoblin. And I remember one of them, I don't know, Eric, if you remember this, had the ogre in it. I just remember this ogre in the yes. room, and I was like, oh, my God, this ogre's going to kill all of us. We're going to die. We're, we're not going to finish this adventure. So that was, like, my first uh, experience with RPGs, and I, I still remember it to this day that we, like I said, we didn't have the polyhedral dice, we had to use Monopoly dice, so we took like three six-sided and we called that a 20. So <laughs> we really didn't get, we didn't get any 20s, but we did, you know, it was, it still didn't matter to us, we were just kids, and it was like, you know, totally amazing, and I was hooked from that moment on, that I really was into this was fun, and I really want to do this and keep playing, and I actually kept playing my brother dropped off after about four years. I, I, I can relate to that. And I've said it before. My first experience was with my friend Kenny. He had the uh, the uh, DMG and ran me through a solo adventure with skeletons and goblins and my fighter mm-hmm. Cyrus, which I think was named after Cyrus Vance, the vice president at the time. <laughs> scary thought, right? Or Secretary of State, whatever. And uh, at the end, and I was stoked, I was alive. and. He had to call a friend to see if I leveled up because he didn't have a player's handbook. And I was about the same age, 12, 13. I'm guessing it was around 79 or 80. I know I was in grammar yeah. school. I, was in like, I wasn't in eighth grade yet. 
So that would put it around seventeen hundred. Yeah, same, same with me. Yeah. No, it was uh, probably right after the DMG came out, and uh, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. It it it, it drew me in. It locked me in. I borrowed that like the following week for, to read it from front to back. I don't know if I understood all the Garyisms, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, let's. Have... I actually kept a lot of that stuff too from that era that I ran or I wrote, and I, I just look back at it and cringe. I'm just like, oh my god! This is but so you know, awful. I'm gonna tell you right now. <laughs> Ridiculous. Listen, uh, I, I I actually had somebody make an offer last year when I posted up one of my uh, early maps. Mm -hmm. And they offer to like reimagine it, but stick to what I actually did, and it would have been cool. I should have followed up on it, but uh, yeah, I've got cringe dungeons uh, and literally three word descriptions, if that was what was in a room. Yeah, yeah. But that was the, that was the time, and that was good. That was it. We suspended so, disbelief then. So, uh, well, you had to. You, you didn't have dungeon terrain. You know, and uh, it was all in imagination. And imagination is very special because it can make memories for you that surpass reality. And that's I have those those memories of the games that I early games that I played in, and and I can remember the smell of the room, the actual room I was in, my 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 friend's bedroom. Uh, I can still sense that because it it meant that much to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same for me. I still remember the room. I still remember where, how you were sitting, how it was yeah. set up. Um, even though it was amazing oh, stuff, God, almost forty years ago, I can still yeah. remember that, that distinctly. So it is incredible how you can just remember that first experience was just like it was. It really, literally changed my life in a lot of ways um, because I would have never my wife hadn't been a gamer because I met her through really? friends I met gaming. Oh God bless you. My, my my wife didn't know much about gaming until she met me, but she embraced it, and I'm I am blessed for that. You know, if you go if you see me at a convention, there's a good chance you're going to see Rachel nearby. So I'm lucky. Yes, I've met her several times at the con. Yes, so she's good. All right, so uh, now what is your go-to RPG system and why? Um, I'm going to break it down a little bit, and I'm going to say okay. at a con. My go-to system is Call of Cthulhu. Um, Ooh, nice. It's fun. It's fast. I'm not attached to my character. I'm not, I know I'm going to either die or go insane in all likelihood. So I'm okay with that. And it tends to create the best in a short window of playing in like four hours with in a non-pain setting. I personally think it's the best game to play because it gives you the opportunity to do most of the role-playing and exploring and just getting the idea of the story and coming to a rather quick resolution. So for me, that's my go-to system of con. If I'm playing, I always okay. play Call of Cthulhu. Um, if I'm playing in a home game or a regular ongoing campaign, uh, I like Pathfinder, but I find it breaks down around sixth or seventh level where the math just becomes too much and the power curve is too great, and then by 10th level, the wheels just colossally fall off, and it becomes Mathfinder, and, you know, it's how many bonuses do you have, which bonus stacks with this, and da 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 da, -da and before, you know, you head spinning, and you're, you don't know which planet you're on. So, at the moment, I would probably say I'm going to lean towards 5e. Um, 
Okay. I haven't had that much experience playing it. I've played it for maybe about a year or two ongoing. Um, while I don't like some aspects of it, I think in terms of its simplicity and elegance, it's really well done. That it moves quickly. Um, that it kind of lessened the power curve that you saw in Pathfinder, where you know a first level fighter had zero chance of hitting a tenth level fighter or a high level monster. It had no chance okay. at all. In right. 5e, at least there's a chance a tenth level fighter surrounded by ten orcs isn't going to walk away unscathed in 5e. In Pathfinder, he's going to mow through them like butter. So. I would say 5e right now is my go-to system for a home campaign or a regular game. Okay. That's fair enough. Uh, this question actually is, is pretty good since you started out with basic. Uh, racist class, yay or nay? Um, which was that? Was, can you repeat that again? Racist class. Yay or nay? You played basic, so dwarf oh, okay, class. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember class, that. I remember class. that. Um... I think I always got stuck as the elf, and I was then the magic user. So, yeah, I, I wasn't too big a fan of that, to be honest. The racist class thing, I just, I just didn't like it. I, just, I remember playing it basically very early on, and it was just like, you're well, I'm a fighter, or I'm a, a halfling, so I'm the thief. I'm like, eh, I want to be something else. I want to be the halfling, something or other. I don't want to be the halfling rogue necessarily. So, not a big fan. Right. Okay. Uh, where do you stand on Save or Die? Not the podcast. I'm talking about the whole concept of you feel you're safe and you're um, I think it has a place in the game. I, I was actually running a con game once, and somebody came up with a good idea. And I said, all right, you know, roll with advantage. And they rolled a one. And they were upset because I said, well, your idea, you know, it didn't work. I'm like, well, it was a great idea. And I said, granted, it was a great idea, but you rolled a one. It's just like the equivalent is in football, uh, I call a screen pass on a blitz. I throw the ball. It hits my receiver in the hands, and he drops it. I made the perfect call. <laughs> it's just fun. I just right. didn't do it. So in certain circumstances, I, I think it's a fair mechanic. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, overdose on it. And, you know, every spell is a saver die spell. But there's something to having right. that. You know, when the players see that one spell and they're like, in their minds, they're like, oh, shit, this is save or die. I better make this saving throw. I think when it's done sparingly, I think it's a really good tool. If it's just done overkill, it's just too much. And, you know, then your whole character's fate just comes down to uh, luck. But once it's a good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that sucks. <laughs> Or can suck. All right. We got one more question and then we'll uh, start the, uh, okay, the freestyling. The hex got roll, it. so to speak. The freestyling. Uh, what would the teenage youth think if they could see what you would accomplish in a hobby at this point? Uh, what would the teenage person be me think about that? Hmm. I think the teenage me would be pretty stoked. That I've been able to write so many things yeah. um, for so many different people in such a various different, I don't want to say genres, but different like areas of expertise, writing adventures. I've written campaign settings. Um, I've done roles, you know, crunch. I've done fluff. I've done all of that. I think Teenage Me would be like, way to go. You've done really well in terms of RPGs. And he would be pretty proud. That I was able to turn all the stuff I did, you know, as a teenager when 
there was no opportunity to you know write for TSR at the time or somebody else unless you know you just got very a very lucky or you knew somebody or you were just that talented um, that you know you couldn't possibly be ignored and even then you need a little luck or somebody on your side so I would think you would be pretty stoked. Yeah, I, I I personally feel the same way, and I think that uh, you know, self-publishing, print-on-demand, PDFs, uh, all this stuff has opened up a world for creators. I still remember when I was in college. You know, yeah, there was third-party stuff out there, but you know, if you you had the professional magazines like uh, Space Gamer and uh the white wolf magazine you know other stuff other than what was coming out from tsr but the real kind of small third-party publishers were publishing stuff on one side of uh, a sheet of uh printer paper and using a regular stapler <laughs> to staple it together and and hopefully a game store will buy it I I mean, that's, that that's stuff. the bread and butter of like a brown box and white box staples and you know, stuff yep. just put together in a box that wasn't like, doesn't look like, you know, the stuff you see today where even, a, you know, where third party publishers are putting out incredibly um, beautiful, full color, hardback books. So we've come a long way from that. Definitely. No, yeah. I mean, like one of the things that I, I collect because I, I don't collect much classic D&D stuff because the market is too huge. And and the whole catalog is too huge to ever actually finish it, but I collect uh, old tunnels and troll stuff and the early uh, modules, or even like I have an original second printing of the rules, or second edition of the rules. This is all, you know, single sheets of loose leaf stapled along the binding. I mean, it's amazing to see when you realize now what you can get done as print on demand, where the industry of the hobby is gone is. Amazing. Yeah, we, we have come a long way. I mean, uh, when I first started in this industry in like around 2000, 2001, um, almost every third party book was, was black and white. Um, and the art was varied from, I don't want to say amateurish, but amateurish to pretty decent. And now I think in order to be competitive, I mean, you need a nice looking, flashy, killer cover with an awesome artwork on it and and if you're not doing i remember years ago i actually worked for bastion press and that was um jim butler who's currently at paizo i believe he's their brand manager he was the owner and we were one of the first publishers that did like exclusively full color and it was just too it was just so expensive though i mean the profit margin on it was very low because it oh. was a fortune to print color back then 2001 and 2002 and you know it, you know it took a toll financially on on the business, but um, nowadays if you don't have full color, I mean I don't know if it's going to capture people's attention. Like you know, just a black and white book may have great art, but people are seeing so and so selling a full color book with really good art for sixty bucks, and you're selling a black and white book with really good art for sixty dollars. I'm going to take the book with the color. Right. And the thing is, the color now is even different than it was back then, probably with Bastion Press, because when you first started getting color in your RPG hardcovers, it was generally a full-page plate, whereas the smaller pieces of art were still in black and white. 
uh, now you get a color book and that's part of the layout. That's, that's part of the actual, uh, trying to figure out the right word for it, but the actual page itself is colored. Uh, it's got a little watermarking going on of, of whatever it is. And the page itself now is a piece of art, which, uh, you can't do it with black and white. Yeah, it's, it's a tough part. sell black and white at this point in time. I mean, the color art and the, the digital art has just really exploded. I mean, even like I was talking about back then, it was still basically, you know, uh, hand-drawn stuff. Um, now the digital art, I mean, some of what I see is just simply, I mean, yeah. amazing. Like um, some of the pieces from Rap and Athic, I mean, when uh, Zach showed me the ones by um, – I mean, uh, Colin Chan, and I know Artem's done a lot of really amazing stuff, but I, I know we have some other artists who I, I just don't remember their names and not popping in my head immediately, but I mean, when I saw some of the art for Rap and Ethic, and I saw okay. some of the art for City of Brass, I was just like, oh my God. This is oh, oh God. And, and, and Terry, I, I, yes. I hear, like, for example, Terry yeah. Pavlik. Amazing stuff. Ter Terry, Terry has a has a way with the I guess it's a digital brush for the most part these days. But <laughs> yeah, we're very fortunate. Yeah, We've man, actually yeah. picked up a lot of amazing artists over the last few years who've really um, turned it up a notch uh, in terms of the art. And art is such a huge, huge seller. I I'm going to go back to the Bastion, when I, and I hate to harp on this, but art, the art that was produced then was either love or hate. People looked at it, and it was a very unique style, very different. Um, and some people loved it, and some people just absolutely hated it. And I think it's really hard to hate any of what's being done now. It's just so, I mean, you want to nitpick, of, you go ahead if you're that kind of an art critic. But, I mean, when you just see it popping off the page and you look at that, and you see even the one for Teagle Manor, when you look at the, the Manor House, you're like, wow. Oh, my God. I want to buy this book. Oh, yeah, no. that. Listen, the complaints that I hear are from the old grognard to it's, it's, and admittedly, I can occasionally be one of them, uh, is that, you know, the color loses some of the charm of the black and white. But to be honest, the black and white art that we remember from like AD&D were, was it Emrakul's, uh, <laughs> you know, riding his horse through, you know, town, zapping somebody with a magic missile and killing them. Paladin in Hell. These were all full page pieces yeah. um, that would have probably looked even more amazing in full color. You know, the pieces that we remember from our childhood. All right, uh, all right. The Circleboost and uh, <laughs> and the Monster Manual. That page is probably dog-eared, but um, you know, the art was hit or miss, and some of the best mm. art was the art yeah. that was on the cover of the modules, and that was all full color. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it has, it has come that. a long way. I, I really think a lot of, you know, the, the industry as a whole has come a long way from its, you know, beginning roots. And there's a lot of nostalgia. And I still remember looking back, like I said, I keep on the borderlands um, and the adventure itself. But, you know, if I tried to play that now, I think I'd be a little jaded. I'm like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. All of these things are all in the same area. Why don't they just go and kill each other? I mean, I just can't, you know, reconcile that in my head. So, you know, but we have, you know, we have, like I said, come a long way. And, you know, there's still a lot to be said for those those beginning years and the memories they created. Oh yeah, it, it, the the whole thing of a dungeon environment where it evolves and it changes the, the players' actions that didn't come 
immediately, at least not to the tables that I yeah, was sitting yeah. at. And even the, the cool thing I remember, too, um, yeah. I was playing with the Tomb of Horrors back in the 80s, and it came with the, um, the flip book with the art pieces in it for each room. So, yeah, so when you came to the room and someone says, well, what does it look like? You want to know what it looks was, like? That was awesome. Boom, here's what it looks like. And they were like, oh, cool. So, you know, that was another huge, you know, huge leap forward that really, um, and really something that you remembered your whole, I remembered as a gamer for my whole life was when you saw that first flip book from Tomb of Horrors, you know, and each room had a, had a piece of color, uh, not a color, it was black and white, but a piece of art that corresponded with the room. So you could actually see what you were looking at rather than being given a description, which in some cases is better because now your imagination takes control and says, well, what does this really look like? But in some circumstances, seeing it really made it pop in your mind. Right. And in Tome of Horrors, certainly, mm -hmm. being that it was full of a lot of uh, traps and puzzles, really, that, that flipbook really added so much because it's very hard to... Uh, in my experience, yeah, explain a puzzle that's a visual puzzle to somebody. You have to show it to them. No, and it that, was. It was that really Top it excelled notch. at that, and that was. And the art was good. You know, no, it wasn't, it wasn't filler art. So now, uh, Tom, what, what, what? You're saying that your first work was for uh, um boy. What it's was hard the, what to remember was first, because uh, I, I whipped out a bunch of them time. really quick. It was when they were looking for open calls. So I think the actual first thing I had published was from a company that I don't think even didn't exist more than a year or two, and maybe put out two products. Um, it was called Rock Games R O C. And I wrote an adventure called Love Forlorn. And it okay. was about this um, vampire who fell in love with the townsperson. And the other product that they put out was actually another product by somebody who does a lot of stuff for Frog God Games. And that's um, Patrick Launder. He put out the other adventure. Yeah, the rock games. So the only thing they put out, two adventures, one was by me and one was by Patrick. Oh, okay. And then from there, I kind of, um, trying to remember what I jumped into. I think I did, then I did like a free thing for Bastion Press. And then what happened was they had a book in their schedule. And the person who was supposed to do it um, didn't, just dropped the ball with like a month left and just didn't do anything. So Jim Butler came to me and said, Hey, you've done a lot of stuff for us on our, you know, website or free things. Do you want to do this nice. book? You have a very short time frame to do it. It was like seventy-seven thousand words, and I had like a month to do it. Now there were some submissions from people, and it's kind of funny when you look at the submissions who they were from. Turns out a lot of them were like another other young up-and-comers. One was um, Wes Schneider was one of them. I remember that distinctly, and so I finished that book. Um, got it in in time. It was called Into the Green. It was an environment book, ironic enough. So I did some huh. of their environment books. Um, I did a couple things for Atlas, Atlas Games and Mongoose. And then I kind of stayed with Bastion. I was actually the lead designer for their campaign setting after the, the creator left. Okay. And I did one book for them, Wildwood. 
And then when 4E came out, I kind of like dropped out of the scene because it was like 4E oh. coming, they're not giving a license, 3.5 sales have tanked. Um, so, you know, and then I had done this huge, huge buck. Yeah. Uh, that like drew everything from the campaign together and it just never really came out. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, why am I going to do this? I'm going to put myself through all this. It's going to never be released. And it's going to sit on a hard drive. And, you know, it's just never going to come to fruition. So I kind of like stepped away for about four or five years. And one of the people who I had worked with early on was Tim Hitchcock, who went on to Paizo. Yes. So I reached out to Tim and I said, hey, is, I want to get back. Is there anything you know I can do? And he says, sure. I'm working okay. on this thing called Razor Coast with Frog God Games. Do you want on? I said, sure. So I came on and I, you know, did a lot of stuff for Razor Coast. I did a lot of lose last minute. Can you do this in 24 hours? And I'm like, yeah, I can do it in 24 hours. So I turned it around. And from there, um, I was then asked to do all the environment books for Frog God Games, which became the Perilous Sisters, which became the Dunes of Desolation, Fields of Blood. Mountains of Madness, Marshes of Malice, and Icebound, which wasn't going to get printed, but oh well. Um, and now I'm doing other stuff too for Frog God. So I, I did parts of Rappanathic. Uh, I'm doing parts of the campaign setting right now. And then I have a couple of really cool secret things I'll be doing after that. So I can't really talk too much about them. They're going to be really Okay. Nice. Uh, I'll, I'll try to, like, when I interview Zach, I'll try yeah, to... No, 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 no. What are them? It's like, I, I thought it was so crazy. I'm like, no one's ever going to... Yeah, no I, one's I, ever going to buy can't. this. This is just totally... I'll get it behind the scenes. But, but actually, never when I run it by it. Zach, he was like, wow, that's a really cool idea. <laughs> I don't know. No one's ever tried it. And I think it would be really cool if we were the first ones to do something like this. So... um. If it comes to fruition, I will let you know, but I haven't started working on it yet. It's just something running around in my crazy mind. Hopefully, we'll come on. Well, there you go. Oh, dude. Uh, listen, my Swords and Woods Relight was something that ran around in my crazy mind when I retired, but it wasn't called Swords and Woods Relight, and it wasn't supposed to be. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, based on any specific rule set, there's just going to be an OSR introduction. And I could, you know, print on two two sides of one sheet of paper and hopefully be able to read it, and be kind of like uh, guerrilla marketing for the OSR. And I just kind of, you know, was talking with Zach and mentioned it. And he's like, you know, you know what your problem is? I go, what? he goes, you never think high enough. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you never see the full the full vision. And go, you did a great job on it. That? Sorry. He goes, just give me a day. Next thing I knew, I was writing swords and was really light. Like, oh, damn, that's cool. Thank you. I, well, I, it, the, the, it, what took the longest time was getting it down to that little kernel and then bring, building the kernel into something that was usable wasn't as hard. And I, I'm just hoping that people take it and run with it and uh, hack it to shit and uh, make other stuff from it. That would just please the, the shit out of me, so... All right. Well, you know what? Before we uh, wrap this up, I got one question for you. Wow. You, you've worked um, on a lot really of stuff. You've worked on a lot of products. Which one is so many of them are so different, and they have so many different components to it. 
the best of my favorite adventure I ever did is in Fields of Blood, and it's called Red Wedding. And yes, I know it came out right around the time when the Game of Thrones episode came out, and everyone said you borrowed the title, you knew it was Red Wedding. And I'm like, look, let me give you two secrets of me as a game designer. A, nice. I've never read a fantasy book other than The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. I've never read any other fantasy book ever. Ever. So people like hear that and they're like, oh my God, you, are you serious? And I'm like, totally. I've never read a fantasy book. I've never owned a comic book. Okay. Ever. So <laughs> uh, I know. I know. It's terrible to admit. But... Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that personally, my favorite adventure I ever wrote was Red uh, Red. You know, listen to the best to mechanical their book own I ever read wrote. From a mechanic standpoint, is unfortunately Icebound. Because the spells in there are super cool, um, the feats in there were really good. I thought, you know, I've honed it over a period of time, getting better and better at doing the pathfinder feats. Um, so I think the feats, um, the magic items, uh, spells, and the right. were top notch. Monsters, best monsters ever wrote appear in Mountains of Madness. Those are the, my favorite monsters. Really enjoyed them a lot. They're they're really unique and they really have some really different um, feel to them, and they're all very very different. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Since you, uh, I, all right, this actually gets me to one last question, I guess. Since you don't read much fantasy and i'll be honest with you there's i i don't consume mm -hmm. much anymore there was a time where i could devour a book a day but i'm like a book a year now uh and i don't think i bought a comic book in 15 years but i do but um, not counting i am Jim a fan Walker, of, i shouldn't uh, say that uh oh my God. all right but, Hawk the slayer i hate to digress and do, do you this, watch but, uh, fantasy movies uh, my gaming group well we've been playing together Hawk, for the most Hawk part the for 30 something years um with you know new people here and there, but by and large the core is the, the all of us who grew up as teenagers, and we saw Hawk the Slayer as teenagers. And I remember Hawk the Slayer not being that good. My friend said Hawk the Slayer is great. Oh, Hawk the Slayer was amazing. Blah 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 blah. It's like all right. So what we decided to do about nine years ago is we do what we call a geek end. Right. It's like the six or seven of us go away for the weekend. We game. Uh, we go to Atlantic City too and party for the first part of it. Um, but we game. And so the first year we decided, let's rewatch Hawk the Slayer. We put in Hawk the Slayer, and within 10 minutes, everyone nice. cringed. Because, oh my God, this is so awful. I don't remember it being like this with the cheesy music and everything else. It was so awful. I just said, see, I told you. Oh, bad special effects, the stilted dialogue. But, but, but you know, and, and listen, mm -hmm. I just re I I've, I had never seen it beginning to end until like two days ago. You can get it on Amazon uh, as a download. You can rent it or own it. I said, ah, eh, for 10 bucks, I'll own it. Um, I don't regret yes. the whole th thing because if you look at it as a D&D &D adventure that you would have run in your teen years or played in in your teen years. No. It, that, Actually, that my, is probably mad. my favorite non-Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit movies are <laughs> a they range from okay to good, but 
my favorite, and it's not really truly purely fantasy, is actually was kind of a big bomb was the 13th Warrior. I actually like that. I think it captures the whole, you know, feel of being in the adventure and being out in the wilderness and then going into the quote-unquote dungeon setting and fighting the big oh, little guy. So. Yeah. Yeah, the 13th Warriors is like what, a, what an honest to God quest would have felt like if you were, if you weren't yeah. just, uh, yep. oh, I don't know, hex crawling, but actually you, your, your group had a goal. Yes. 13th Warrior, spot on. I enjoyed that. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Well, I think we're hitting right around the 30 minute mark, maybe a little bit longer. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it a lot. You, you, it's like with Bad Mike. We could have gone on for hours. I think we could have done that again today. Well, Tom, thank you very much for joining. I, ah, dude, this is going to be a great series of interviews, and I really, uh, I, I'm, I'm stoked that the number of people uh, that have, that have requested or stepped up and said, yeah, me too. So, uh, so we're going to end it on this note, uh, folks. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, be safe. Roll your nights well. God bless. And uh, I'll talk with you all tomorrow. And